0: So can I just say those are the best video announcements ever? Come on. Can't imagine why I would say that, right? And Derek did a good job too, so. All right. Don't tell anybody I did that. I'm just going to toss that over there. So, all right, I'll get it after, I promise. Somebody, I can't believe you just threw that down there. All right. It's bothering you, that's why I did it, just to irritate you a little bit. Because that's how we do it here at the City Life Church, Right. Hey, I've got a giveaway. Uh, Somebody donated. Uh, Lord of the Rings, come on. (laughs) Nice, right? Everybody that's laughing, because you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we've been showing clips out of the Lord of the Rings, and so I thought, you know, I thought we would give this out to maybe one of our college students or one of our young professionals, somebody in CYP, but you're going to have to do something to earn it, okay? So is, who, is there somebody in CYP that does not have this and would like to have it? Anybody? Anybody? I see Vic's hand. I see Marcus's hand's going up. All right, so this is, this is uh, Are, you, are you, you're going up? Hands coming up? All right, you got to, so I saw, I saw Vic Sands first, so if you can tell me what Magos Samian means, then you get it. No? You want me, am I going to Marcus? <laughs> Marcus is like, don't come here. Kristen, you coming? You know what it means? No? Nobody? Name of the series? Wait a minute, don't say it, don't say it, because somebody, college young professional Mariah's in CYP. Thanks for posting all those uh, presentations that the interns did, too. They were awesome. I know. All right, are you going to make a stab at it? Do you have this? Do you want a copy of it? All right, so what what does Magos Samian mean? A great sign. Come on. There you go. Don't be bitter. Don't be bitter. We make you work for it a little bit here sometimes. Lord of the Rings at Mariah's place later. Hey, let me um, just give a word of mention, too, to this Christmas Eve service. This is such an important service for us, right? One of the things that communities everywhere need to see are churches that are different work together. And the reason why that doesn't happen is because churches don't like to defer to one another. And so that's part of our whole model of sharing space and all of our campuses are in somebody else's building. Why? Because we want there to be a witness to the community of what it looks like when Christ's church comes together. There's enough that we agree on to do things together. And so this Christmas Eve service is going to look a little bit like us and it's going to look a little bit like them, and that's part of the beauty of the witness that this community needs. And so we hope that you're going to come out for it. There might even be that you've been looking for an opportunity to invite neighbors to come and, and a Christmas Eve service could be just that for them. So, so a great sign. May God say me. This phrase comes to us out of Revelation 12, which is the chapter in the Bible that we've kind of been unpacking in this series, and we're going to get deep again into it tonight. Meet on the table. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now all the notes for the message tonight are online just like they are every week. If you're visiting with us, sometimes we uh, maybe cover more ground if you're a note taker than you would prefer. And so that's why we make these notes available on a PDF on our website so you can get those there. And so there's some other references uh, for 1 Corinthians 13 11 uh, that you can find on those uh, notes as well. So we've been using that verse because it kind of teaches us something. It it teaches us that, that God expects us to mature in our Christianity, and our faith. And part of how he wants us to mature is I believe that our understanding of the Christmas story needs to get a little bit older. Meaning, meaning that as I age, my understanding of the Christmas story needs to mature. Now, the the all the things that we do with the kids and the stories that we read and, and spending a lot of time in Matthew 2 and Luke 2, that's great and it's incredible and it's awesome. And we're going to be doing a lot of that at our Christmas Eve service. But that's only the beginning. Revelation 12 is an insight, it's a snapshot into what was happening in the spiritual realm while Matthew 2 and Luke 2 were taking place. God wants us to see that there was a battle that was raging in the spiritual realm at the time of the birth of Christ. And right at the beginning of Revelation 12, he says he saw a great sign, which gives us the name of this series, Megas Samian. We're not saying that you should stop having fun with your kids. We're not saying that you shouldn't put up a Christmas tree because we've got 800 of them in our house too. Right? We're not saying that you shouldn't do the decorations and the, and the, 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 uh, the, the, the parties that you're going to. Where like, well, Who can wear the craziest Christmas sweater? We, we want people to have fun with Christmas. What we're saying is add to it. Add to the fun some serious conversation about the reality that we have an enemy that just as he was trying to destroy Christ and his purpose, that he's trying to destroy us. Week one, we talked about the idea of just a great sign, and we connected that to the phrase, the blood of the lamb. I'm going to read these verses in just a minute. Last week, we talked about a great battle, and we connected that to the phrase, by the word of their testimony. And then tonight, we're going to talk about a great purpose, that you have a great purpose, I have a great purpose. All of us have been created by God for a great purpose. We're going to connect that to love, not their lives, even unto death. Revelation 12, 17 17 says, And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keeps God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. That's you and me. This is why Revelation 12 is so important for us, that just as he was after Christ, he's coming after us. And that was all what last week was about. If you want to learn about that, how we can say to him, You shall not pass. Listen to these verses in 10 through 11, though, because this is where we find our hope and our ability to withstand the enemy. Verse 10 says this, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. That's Jesus. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's the devil, who's described in this passage as a seven-headed, ten-horned demon dragon. And we don't know if that's what he really looks like. It's really the impact, I believe, that God was going for, that he's evil, and that he's powerful, and that he's dangerous. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they, speaking of devoted followers of Christ, listen to what it says. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb, by their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as they were afraid to die. And we're going to focus in on that last part tonight. Father, as we dig deep into this idea of each of us having a great purpose, this idea that that you created us to do something for you, and the reality that we have an enemy that's going to do everything that he can to stop us. Father, we pray today, we pray today, That we would not allow him to have a victory in our lives because you've already defeated him. That that we would not give him the pleasure of stealing a plan out of one more person's life. That, Father, we're going to adopt the kind of attitude that's given to us by the example of those who have come before us to protect the purpose that you want to see birthed through us and into this world. In Christ's name, come on and everybody said Amen. All right, Revelation 12, 3 through 4. Look at this image. I want you to see this. Revelation 12, 3 through 4. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event, or this is the phrase, Megas Simeon appearing again, a great sign. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky. We explain this in the series, so we're not going to reteach this tonight, so you're going to have to jump online if you want to hear more about that. But listen to what it says. He stood, this is the image I want you to see. He stood in front of the woman, right? So again, this is a snapshot, a glimpse into the spiritual realm as to what was happening at the same time of Jesus' birth, right? As the kids are singing away in a manger, right? There's a seven-headed, ten-horned demon dragon just off to the side waiting for Jesus to be born. We're not going to talk to your kids about that tonight, but we're going to talk to you about it. Listen to what it says. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Now, why do I want you to see this? Because I believe one of the reasons why it's in the bible is because god wants you to see yourself as mary he picked her he chose her he set her apart from every other person on the planet who's ever lived and who's ever gonna live he said you're the one that's going to give birth to jesus in the world he's picked you out of every other person that's ever lived and who's ever going to live to do something for him. Mary's purpose, there's no doubt, was one of the greatest of purposes. But your purpose is one of the greatest of purposes because God's not giving it to anybody else He's given it to you. He picked you from the foundations of the earth, and there is something that he wants to cause to come alive inside of you that's going to be birthed into this world, that you're the only person on the planet that can do it. You're the only person on the planet that can bring it because of your life experience, because of who you are, because of your personality, your spiritual gifts, all the ways that God has shaped you. He's made you ready, just as he's made Mary ready, and he wants something to come out of your life. And just as the devil was standing there in front of Jesus 2,000 years ago, he's standing in front of us, and he does not want to see our purpose come to fruition. He doesn't want to see this destiny that God wants to birth inside of us. He doesn't want to see it come to pass. We're gonna call it a Jesus purpose, a great purpose, a divine purpose, an eternal purpose. Look at Hebrews 10, 24. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. You've heard me teach on this verse before. This is out of the New Living Translation. I like the King James here where it says that we're supposed to provoke one another to love and good works. Provoke is the word that's actually used in the Greek, but most people don't like that because they don't like the idea of provocation in the church. They don't like the idea of pushing and prodding one another, but that's a part of our relationship with one another, to love each other enough to say the hard things, to love each other enough to challenge one another. We're supposed to provoke each other to love and good works. Why? Because those love and good works it, are your Jesus purpose that God wants to see come out of your life. James 2.26 says this, just as the body is dead without breath, so also, is, so also faith is dead without good works. There are good works, great works, Jesus works, divine purposes that God wants to see come out of your life. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believe. We're not talking about working your way into salvation. We're talking about the work that you begin to do after your salvation. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. But listen to verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do Good things he planned for us long ago. Every person that's in this room has a great purpose that's supposed to be birthed from you. There's nothing that you can say, there's nothing that you can say that would disqualify you from being a candidate. The fact that you are alive is the evidence that there's a purpose that's supposed to come from your life. It doesn't matter where you've been, It does not matter what you've done. You could stand up and you can say, Fred, but you don't know my my story. No, no, no. God says no. Mm -mm." If you didn't have a purpose to do, he would have brought you home already. If he didn't want you to have a purpose, then, then he wouldn't have put you here. But he did put you here. And part of the ugliness of your past, if you've got some really ugly stuff there, I'm just telling you that's probably going to be part of how your purpose is going to be fulfilled. It might be that you're going to be able to relate to people that nobody else can relate to. It might be that you're going to be able to go to places that nobody else can go to. Every person in this room, you are a Mary and a Joseph that has been set aside from the foundations of the earth, and there is a Jesus purpose, a divine destiny that's supposed to come out of your life. So what I want to talk to you tonight about is the, the attitude that you've got to have to protect that purpose. And it takes attitude. If you've ever been around a new mother, you know what I'm talking about. There's attitude, right? It's crazy, isn't it? People don't know us. You're in the ball, you've got a new baby, and people think just because you have a baby they can come up and touch that child. You're like, hey, take two steps back, Right? Or you might go meet with Jesus today, yeah. Have you ever right? People come up, they want to touch your child. You're like, hey, get, get, hey, stop. Attitude. God wants you to have some attitude in regards to your purpose that's supposed to be birthed out of your life. Something inside of you it should should this what we talked about last week that you're saying to the devil, you shall not pass. This purpose, it's mine. God gave it to me. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to understand it. I'm going to see it grow. I'm going to birth it. I'm going to see it care. I'm going to do this thing that God's created me to do. There should be some attitude that rises up inside of you that says he's not going to stop you. And I believe this phrase that we're given, loving not their lives, love not their lives, even unto death, that that phrase is key to understanding the attitude that protects our divine purpose. This idea of loving Your life, more than you should, sometimes is the very thing that gives the devil access to the purpose that you're supposed to be protecting. Now, I believe this is about martyrdom. You believe it's about martyrdom. If you've studied the Bible for any amount of time, you know that Revelation 12 is talking about how Christians throughout ages, not so much in America today, and by God's grace it will never be a part of our Christian experience in this great land, but it is a part of other Christians' journey in other parts of the world, even today, even now. People are killed for their faith. Martyrdom is a very real thing. But if that's the only thing that you see in this text, which I think sometimes that's what the devil wants you to see, because if you say it only deals with martyrdom, then you're ignorant to this idea of the attitude that you're supposed to carry that's instructed to you by this idea of loving not your life even unto death. Now there's a whole portion in here that we're not going to do for the sake of time, but I built it into the notes. so if you want to study more about that, you can. But so many times Jesus talked about this idea of dying to ourself. See, part of the attitude that I'm supposed to have that protects the purpose that's supposed to be born out of me is this attitude that says, Jesus, I am willing to endure whatever death and dying needs to happen on the inside of me so this purpose can live. Whether you've been a parent or not, you probably have siblings that have kids, or you've been in an environment where there are kids, and any person that has any amount of character, if there were a moment of trouble, something inside of you would step in front of the danger to protect that child. You tracking with me? Your purpose is like a child. And God's saying, when are you going to get to the business of stepping in front of that purpose so that it can live? And part of stepping in front of that purpose oftentimes means dying to yourself. So I'm gonna talk about three ways that we've got to love not our lives. And all three of these come out of the birth story of Jesus. So we've been talking about Revelation 12, referencing Matthew 2 and Luke 2. So tonight, to finish out this series, we're going to go into Matthew 2, and we're going to see, as we look at it through the filter of Revelation 12, there's going to be some things I think that you're going to see that maybe you've not seen before. Matthew 2, 16 through 18. Matthew 2, 16 through 18. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Based on the wise men's report of when the star first appeared, Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Verse 18 says, A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted. For they are dead. You ever notice in that story that the Bible makes no mention of an angel being sent to warn those families? See, because if you back up into that text, what what you find is that Mary and Joseph they had some advance warning. God sent an angel to them and said, hey, you've got to get out of here. Herod is going to send soldiers and children. It's called in history the slaughter of the innocents. They're going to die. You need to run. And they did. Where, where was the message for the other people? Have you ever stopped to think about when Mary and Joseph came back from Egypt a few years later Moved back into town. And people looked at him and said, how old is he? Huh. Because there's no other boys in this neighborhood his age. Can you imagine that Mary and Joseph were at life group in their church? They're taking turns telling their stories of how God's moved on them in miraculous ways. And she begins to tell this story about how an angel comes in the night and warns them to protect their child and how they're able to flee. And we're going to talk about why they were able to afford to do that to begin with, the poor family that they were. And then they come back, and, and, and maybe she's not quite getting the response that she thought she was going to get because there were some people in that room. And you know what they're thinking? My child died that night. God didn't send anybody for me. It's right here in the Christmas story. It's tragic, isn't it? Why is that in there? Because there is a forsaking that we've got to be willing to endure in order for the purpose that God has for us to be born. Now, that forsaking and that sacrifice is something that, I'm going to say should never happen on behalf of your purpose, right? Because this is important. The sacrifice is commensurate to the calling. And there's no other calling that's ever greater to the birth of Jesus in this world. And so when you think about how how could the callousness of God allow those children, then it's not the callousness of God that we focus on. It's the grandeur and the glory of the calling of Christ that makes that forsaking something that's acceptable. But you can take that same principle and apply it to your life and apply it to my life. Is there's a forsaking that's going to be required of us. There's going to be some dying at times in our own journey. I'm not talking about a physical dying, but sometimes it's the death of a dream. It's a dream that you've got that's standing in the way of the dream that God wants to give to you that he's trying to cause to come alive in your heart. So Sometimes it's the, it's the death of relationships that are not healthy. Sometimes it's the the, the death of the idea that you're going to live here, but God really wants you to live there because that's where your purpose is going to be fulfilled. Sometimes the death and the dying is laying something down that you've been looking forward to for a long time, and God just lets you hold it just for a minute, not because he takes pleasure in taking it back from you, but so that you can know, I did it and then he says okay now put it down let's go and get busy about the things that i've called you to do. Vanessa and i were we're going to be celebrating our 20th anniversary in may and so when we met and married i was working at a bank and they're in their call center and i was a a a a a division manager in upper management and and we were doing very well we joke all the time that that uh, that we were probably our wealthiest 10 years ago right something's gone terribly wrong with the financial trajectory of of our of our life that's part of the forsaking see Vanessa had a great job at Capital One, and I had a great job, and, and my boss called me into her office one day in, in the spring of 99 and said, Fred, you've been here a year. These three departments that we gave you, six months later they gave me a fourth one, and we were thriving. We were doing amazingly well. But They said, we're going to create a new division in the bank that we want you to be a part of. And it would have been the, the next promotion after that would have been on the president of the bank, their executive team. And, and when that promotion was given to us, we had we'd started about, talking about having a kid. We would have kids back then. And, and we said, hey, Vanessa's going to be able to stay at home. And, and and not just the financial freedom that would come with that promotion, but it was the, you're, you're tracking with, it's the trajectory, right? The ceiling goes up. And I came home from that meeting. I was so excited. And, and we were like, this, this is unbelievable. We're, we're going to live comfortably for the rest of our lives because of what this is going to set into motion. Wouldn't you know it? A week later, the church we're going to, pastor gets up and says, we're gonna hire a pastor of business administration to come join our pastoral team. And we're making that announcement today in case anyone here wants to put their name in. And Vanessa and I looked at each other and we both knew I'm supposed to do that. So I had accepted that promotion. The bank had begun to restructure to accommodate the acceptance of that promotion. And I had to go back into my boss's office and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to have to say no to that offer. Now, they knew who I was and what we did and the homeless ministry that we ran and the neighborhood that we lived in. And so they, they understood the, the, the reason why. I'm telling you that story because that was a moment of forsaking that we had to be willing to embrace. You see, sometimes this idea of, of dying is, is, is not the ugliness of the story that's in the Bible. You, you're tracking with me? It's you being willing to put something down that you've been working your whole life for. God lets you hold it just for a moment so you can have the sense of satisfaction. I got there, right? I, I did it. And then he says, okay, now put that down, and I want you to pick this up over here because this is your Jesus purpose that I'm trying to birth inside of you. And what I would say to you, those 10 years in corporate America have been some of the the greatest gifts to me in my pastoral ministry because what it does for me for organizational development. You have a great purpose. And there is a dying at some point in your journey that you're going to have to undergo in order for that life to have its moment. And this is what we know about God is that he's going to ask you to die over and over and over and over again. There's a forsaking, a loved not my life, even unto death, so that my divine purpose could be born into this world. Forsaking. Matthew 2, 9 through 11. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Treasure chests. Gold speaks to the... Authority of Christ, frankincense was a unique spice that was only used in religious services. It speaks of Jesus being our high priest and myrrh is involved in the embalming of bodies which spoke that he would be a suffering savior. Even the gifts that he received were, were prophetic and speaking of his great purpose. But what I want you to see is that this was a poor family. I mean, come on, Jesus is, is being born in a stable. It's not quite the beginning that people thought the king of the world would have. It's interesting, isn't it, that God picked somebody without means to be able to give possibly the greatest moment of purpose in the world has ever seen. But he knew that he would provide for them. Traveling to Egypt, living there for a time in a foreign country as a foreign people. That, that trip had to be resourced in some way, and the wise men did it. Now, I'm guessing these wise men, these magi, right? They're people just like you and me, riding on the camel. Every now and then, looking down there and thinking to themselves, we could live pretty comfortably with these treasures that we have. Isn't it great that when they had a chance to lay all of that treasure at Jesus' feet, it said that they were filled with joy in the moment of worship? How many times do we, do we give what God's asking us to give and we're like the child scuffing their heel? I'm going to do it because you said so, but I'm not going to like it. I thought about that poor kid. I don't know who 66P is. Did you see that number pop up on the screen during the last song? How about that worship set? Was it not amazing, that last song? Right? They, they did, Tara. The whole thing, unbelievable. That name stayed up there for a long time. Did you notice that, 66P? Because somebody's mother was out there. Oh, he can wait. This is a, I'm having an encounter with God, right? It was awesome. I can't wait to find out who 66P is. That's so great. Where's my mother? She's, it's okay. It's okay. She's going to be all right. But sometimes we're the kid in the nursery that's crying, right? Sometimes we're that kid with God when he's asking us to do something. I don't want to no, 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 no. The Magi. Whatever I have, God, it's yours. You you tell me what you want me to do. There's a forsaking that has to happen. There's a funding that has to happen. Whatever your purpose is, it's going to cost you some money. You're going to have to give some stuff for it. You're going to have to restructure your finances. You're going to have to change the way that you live. You're going to have to get used to the idea of a standard of living that's maybe less than what you've grown accustomed to because there's some things that God has to say about your finances. And when you walk in the wisdom of God's Word and what He says about our finances, there's a blessing that comes to us, I believe, that oftentimes is what's going to fund the purpose. It's backwards sometimes. The the math in the kingdom of heaven, a lot of times, it's just upside down. So we've been doing this this tithe challenge to the church, for everybody that calls us their church home in the month of December, because 90% with God's blessing and favor is a lot more than 100% without it. And it might be this tithe challenge has been challenging you because you've been saying, Fred, don't talk to me about offerings to Haiti and going on mission trips to the Dominican Republic because I can't even afford the 10% that God asks for me in this biblical concept of a tithe. What I would say to you, you're not ever going to be able to afford all of those extra opportunities of giving until you take the step of faith into tithing. Because the surplus is part of the blessing that doesn't come until there's a sacrifice. For some of you, you're never going to have the resources you're supposed to have to fund your great purpose until you live at a place of less that God's asking you to do today. Can I just say the secular concept of living within your means is a secular concept? Because the Christian concept is not living within your means, it's living less than your means. The secular world says, don't spend more than you have. The Bible says, spend a lot less than what you have, so there's something left over for you to give away. Leviticus. Yeah, we're going there. Like, dear God. Man's preaching about seven-headed, ten-horned demon dragons. is Christmas, and now he's going to read out of the book of Leviticus. I know. Well, if you like it, then you found a great church. All right. Meat on the table. Listen to this. Listen to this list. You ready for this? Do not steal. Do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make... Hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being impartial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people and don't stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse, oh, this is a good one for the holidays. You ready for this? Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Mm -hmm. Some of you need to underline that. It's Leviticus 19.17. You're going to be reading it all the way to the Christmas dinner. I'm not going to nurture hatred in my heart. I'm not going to nurture hatred in my heart. Mommy, what's wrong with Daddy? Nothing, he's just reading the Bible. Just reading the Bible. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite. And he just keeps going on and on. We read that stuff. You know what we say? Of, of course I shouldn't do that. Uh, of, of course I'm not going to do those things. I, I'm, I, I'm a Christian. Well, I, what? My child's Sunday school teacher does some of those things? Pastor Fred, we need to talk. We read that list and there's a self-evidencing quality to them, is there not? What if we back up to verse 9? Because this is part of the same list. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you, for I am the Lord your God. What's he talking about there? He's talking about living less than your means. It's in the same list as everything else. We've been talking about this in the series. There is such a desensitization to certain aspect of the Christian experience. We cringe at the others, but this one right here, we say, oh, it can't be but so bad. How bad can it be? Well, it's bad enough for God to give it the context that we just read together. Why is it so bad? Because your divine God-given purpose is at risk. Until we're willing to walk in this place of generosity, there is a work of reciprocity that will never take place in your life, and it holds the key to you having the finances that you need to fund and to give towards the purpose that he created you to have. Listen to 1937. 1937. You must be careful to keep all. All. Of my decrees, not some, not a few, all of them, by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord. Anybody here have teenagers? Anybody have curfews for their kids? I had a curfew growing up. Anybody had a curfew?? Right. So let me paint a picture for you. I come home late. My dad's waiting for me at the door. He says, where have you been? Out with my friends. You were supposed to be home two hours ago. And I say to him, oh, I I believe in curfews. I'm just not practicing them right now. (laughs) You say that to your dad? I didn't say that to my dad, right? I'm on my knees. Dear God, right? What, What if... What if you walk in, you got little kids playing with each other, and one of your kids takes a toy from one of their siblings and whacks them over the head with it. And you say, Earl, what's going on in here? We don't do that to each other. For, for one, we don't take, and we don't hurt each other. Oh, I believe in all that, Mommy. I'm just not, I'm not practicing it right now. Well, isn't that the kind of conversation we're having with God all the time? I I believe in this idea of tithing. I I believe in generosity. I I believe at living less than my means. I'm just not, not practicing it right now. It's no different. It's not any different. There is something about walking in the wisdom of God's word that he expects of us. Believing. Can I just tell you? Because the Bible says in the book of James, the devil believes all of this stuff. Believing? It's not enough. It's the doing. It's the doing where it matters. There's a forsaking. There's a funding. And I save this one for last because I think this might be the hardest. There's a following. There's a following. Matthew 2, 19 to 20. Matthew 2, 19 to 20. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up! The angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Verse 21, so Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel where Jesus, with Jesus and his mother. Listen to Psalm 32.9. I love this verse. Psalm 32.9. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. What is that? Anybody here ever ridden a horse? Yeah. I, don't, I have never ridden a horse without a bit or a bridle. Have you ever ridden a horse without a bit or a bridle? Right. Yeah, no, because that's how you make the horse go in the direction you want it to go in. So why would God say, Don't be like the horse that needs a bit or a bridle because he's saying you shouldn't need a bit in your mouth so God's having to jerk you all the time to get you to go here and to do that. He's saying, no, no, no. The desire of your heart should be to walk in my ways so that he's just there and he just says it and then we're after it. That's what he's looking for. There has to be a following that flows from my heart, an attitude of being willing to submit and to defer to the direction that God gives to me so that this divine purpose that he created me can be birthed into this world. Now, I think this is the trouble that most of us get into. We say, well, God, if you sent an angel to me, I would do a little bit better job at being obedient. Anybody else ever thought that way? is it just me? That's a really dangerous attitude to have because when the angel shows up, he might be there to do something that you weren't expecting, which is bring you to a meeting with Jesus like Ananias and Sapphira. Right? This is where we get into trouble, is that when we think that we can tell God how he could do a better job at communicating to me, the things that I'm supposed to do. Because he doesn't always send an angel. Sometimes he sends a verse and maybe your devotion that you're reading that morning and he speaks to you through it. Sometimes it's a friend that loves you enough to invite you for coffee and maybe says some things to you that you don't want to hear but you know that you needed to hear them. It might be that you get a call from your pastor or maybe one of the other leaders in the church and they begin to talk with you out of concern for your life because of something that they are, are, are observing that's happening in you. Maybe it's in regards to your character. Maybe it's in regards to your lifestyle. We're not talking about being heavy-handed with people. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people that are in a covenant relationship with one another and that we, we are expecting that because I've got blind spots, you got blind spots that people are helping us to see our blind spots so that we can get to the place that we're going. You've heard me talk about it many times. Derek just got his driver's license not too long ago when they were uh, on their way to a class. We homeschooled, we are a part of a co-op, and so it was just Ethan and Derek needed to be there. And uh, of, of course, there, up until now, he's just kind of been driving on the back roads, and he said to Vanessa, I want to I get there on the interstate. And so we said, you know, absolutely, because you've got to learn to drive. So we gave him some boundaries, and, and and when they left, Vanessa and I said, you know what? It's, he's going to be okay because Ethan's with him. He's got an extra set of eyes to help him see. You with me? Ethan's like, nah, I was on my phone the whole time. <laughs> Selfies and You and I need an extra set of eyes riding with us in this life, helping us check in our blind spots. And sometimes God uses those people to speak correction into our lives. Following, it's hard. It's hard, especially when we don't like the source. How about Balaam in the Old Testament? God used a donkey, right, to speak to him. You and I are supposed to have this heart, like in the book of Psalm, this verse, where we don't need the bit and the bridle to drive us and direct us. But we do need direction. The idea of the bit and the bridle isn't that we don't need direction. It's speaking to the attitude that we're supposed to have when it comes, regardless of who God uses to speak it into our lives. And for some of you, your purpose is at risk, not because you're not willing to forsake, For some of you, you're willing to lay it down whatever God asks of you. You might be walking in a measure of generosity that would put us all to shame. You're willing to do the forsaking. You're willing to do the funding. But it's the following that has marginalized your purpose. The idea of other people giving you direction could be the very thing that's keeping your purpose from being birthed into this world. Acts 13. Oh, I love this story. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, and then there's a list of the people that were there. I'm just going to jump down to verse 2 for the sake of time. It says, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. This is the beginning of the very first missionary journey of Paul. All the letters that we cherish that came to us in the New Testament, none of these were written yet. You know why they were written? Because of this moment right here. This is where it started. And you know how it started? With other people giving them some direction. It's powerful, isn't it? Talk about this purpose that was supposed to be birthed out of Paul's life. It begins with other people giving him direction. And you know why I love this story? Because Paul already knew that he was supposed to do this. Because when you read in Paul's trial later in his life when he's before King Agrippa and he's giving a, a, a retelling of the story of where Jesus came and knocked him off his horse as a great light on the road to Damascus, he retells the story. And as he's retelling that story, he says, Jesus told me that I'm supposed to go to the Gentile world and to tell them about Jesus. But when you get here to Acts 13, where is Paul? He's not out going to the Gentile world. Why? Because he's waiting for permission from people that he trusts. It's powerful, isn't it? See, just because we got a word from God about what we're supposed to do doesn't mean that we just go and do it. Well, God told me. Well, God told Paul, and he waited. He waited until the people that he trusted and loved could bear witness to the calling that you know Paul had many times. I just have this picture of Paul every day bringing them together. We leaving today? We leave it because I got stuff to do, right? Years went by, and then it comes. See, we celebrate this moment, but what we forget is that Paul's been waiting. For, this. for some of you, he has you in a place of waiting, and it's hard, because part of the waiting is dependent upon the following, and we just want to do it ourselves. See, this idea of a rebellious heart isn't always the stuff in the list of Leviticus 19, that that maybe maybe we've, we've reached a place of maturity in our Christianity where those issues of morality aren't necessarily our struggle anymore, but we still have struggles. And for some of you, this is your struggle. It's being willing to submit and defer your heart to other people. You are a Mary and a Joseph that God has put into this world and you have a purpose that's so sacred and so important that God picked you and he said, I'm, I'm putting it in your hands. You got to step in front of that thing and say, this thing's going to live no matter what it takes. I'm going to forsake whatever I've got to forsake. I'm going to fund whatever I've got to fund. and I'm going to follow whoever God you put in my path to lead me so this Thing can be born into this world because all of us have the same great hope that we're gonna one day stand before him and hear him say, well done my good and faithful servant but we're not gonna hear him say that until we learn to love our lives, not our lives, even unto death. So I'm not gonna have the band come up but this is how I wanna close the service tonight. This is how, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes. i gonna ask you to close your eyes. So I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy or weird. Or I want you to think about somebody that you know who's not here for this Christmas. For some of you, this is really personal. As I look around this room, I, I see some of you. For some of you, this is a big Christmas because it's your first Christmas without someone who's passed. For me, it's my second Christmas without my, my dad. I thought the second one was going to be easier, but in some ways, I think the second one is harder because there was just the shock of it all from... Two years ago. This year, it's, it seems a little bit more real. Maybe you haven't lost a loved one, but maybe you know someone who has. I'm talking to you about that right now because this is what I want you to hear me say. One day, you're going to be the person that's not here. One day, there's going to be a service just like this, and you're going to be the person that they're thinking about because you've breathed your last. So, this is the question that I'm going to ask you right now as we head into Christmas. It's the question that has to do with why Jesus came in the first place. He came to be a Savior. So I'm just going to ask you, if just in this moment of privacy, if you're here and you say, Fred, I, I know at some point the end's going to come for me. But just in a moment of honesty that you'd be willing to say, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me after I die. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. Just in this moment of privacy, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me after I die. Anybody else? Anybody else? Come on, this is your moment. Just a moment, just to be honest with God. Yeah. yeah. All right, you can open, open your eyes up because there's a couple people here. So let's let's just 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 for a minute. We're not off the clock too much. Just because some hands went up, let's just take a minute. In John chapter one. God says something very clear. That if we have a hope of being in heaven, then we've got to be in God's family. And then in John chapter 3, he says, if you want to be in my family, you've got to be born into it. Not a natural birth, it's a spiritual birth that happens through the Holy Spirit. And then you get to John 14, and we're we're told something quite remarkable. That when we make a vow of devotion to Christ, that he goes to God on our behalf and asks that the Holy Spirit be sent to us. And he comes every time. It's remarkable, isn't it? And you might be saying, well, why Jesus? Why can't I make a vow of devotion to Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or someone else? Because Jesus is the only one that died on that cross 2,000 years ago. This is important for us. Because, see, the way that I find my way to heaven is to be born into his family. And the way that I'm born into his family is for the Holy Spirit to be born into me. And the only way that the Holy Spirit can be born into me is that when God comes to me, comes alive inside of me through the cross. Why? Because when I make a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm standing there with Jesus on that cross. I heard a pastor explain this years ago, and it brought such clarity to my thinking. And as we make that vow of devotion to Christ and we, we, and we stand with Christ, on the cross, and he's asking for God to send the Holy Spirit into our lives, the Spirit of God comes to us, it actually passes through the cross. And the judgment of God that I deserve, because of the ugliness of my life, the cross is like this filter, and it stays there. And what comes to me is the Spirit of God that is full of grace and mercy. And as He lives in me, I take my first spiritual breath. Happened for me in December of 1990. For many of you, you can point to a time or place. For some of you, it happened in a service just like this, where you breathed your first spiritual breath. Maybe you've prayed a prayer like that before, but your hand went up because you're, 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 you're just, you're wondering, did it happen? Can I just tell you, God doesn't care if you've got to come to a moment like this over and over and over and over again until he makes you certain. Until he makes you certain. So I'm just going to invite you to stand. And this is how we're going to close the service. Just stand where you are. Just stand where you are. And we're going to pray together. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray. You, just, you say it after me. And I think we should just say it all together. For the people that raised their hand. And maybe for those that didn't. Say, Father. Father I believe. I believe, I believe that, Jesus son, that Jesus is your son. That he died for me. Died for me. And on this day. I make a vow of devotion to him. him. Jesus, I commit my life life. to you forevermore. Forevermore. And I believe believe. by faith faith. that your Holy Spirit Spirit. is going to live in me. I'm going to be born into God's family. And And I have the hope of heaven for all eternity. If you pray that tonight because you needed to do it, to know about where you're going, I hope that you find one of us at the end of the service so that we can talk to you. If you prayed it to help the people around you, then come on. I hope that you leave with a smile, knowing that there were people in this room tonight that took their first spiritual breath. And the Christmas story that happened in this book happened in this room. Father, I lift up every person that's here. Every single one of us. Father, I lift up the kids that are in the nursery, I lift up the children that are in workshop, the workers that are there. Father, wherever people might be in this building right now, Father, I, I lift them up to you, O oh God. I lift them up to you in Jesus' name. And we pray a prayer of great blessing over their life, for the purpose that's supposed to be born inside of them, for the purpose that needs to come alive inside of them, that they would find a sense of courage and determination an attitude that's willing to make whatever sacrifice needs to be made for that purpose to be birthed and to come forth into this world. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, Amen. amen. We'll see you next week.